Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Docebo Inc. fourth quarter 2020 earnings call. All participants are currently in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will open the line for a question and answer session for analysts. Instructions will be provided at that time for research analysts to ask questions. We ask that analysts please limit themselves to two questions and return to the queue for any follow-ups. I would now like to turn the call over to Docebo's Investor Relations, Dennis Fong. Please go ahead, Dennis. Thank you, Operator. Before we begin, Docebo would like to remind listeners that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the company's views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements. For more, for more information on the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions related to forward-looking statements, please refer to Docebo's public filings, which are available on CDAR and on EDGAR. During the call, we will reference certain non-IFRS financial measures. Although we believe that these measures provide useful supplemental information about our financial performance, they're not recognized measures and do not have standardized meanings under IFRS. Please see our MDMA for additional information regarding our non-IFRS financial measures, including for reconciliations to the nearest IFRS measures. Please note that unless otherwise stated, all references to any financial figures are in U.S. dollars. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Docebo CEO, Claudio Erba. Thanks, Dennis, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our fourth quarter earning call. With me today is Ian Kitson, our Chief Financial Officer, and Director Tu, our Chief Revenue Officer. Over the past year, managing through pandemic brought many challenges for our employees, our customers, and the global economy. But one clear trend has emerged. The digital transformation of training is accelerating rapidly. A critical component to any corporate learning program is the LMS, which manages training delivery. Today, the disabled LMS is positioned as one of the prominent solutions on the market. In the first quarter, we continue to see strong momentum across our business as we once again generated record new logo, Apple and OEM sales. This was driven by broad-based demand as we added 154 new customers from the third quarter of 2020 and ended the fourth quarter with 2,179 customers. Average contract value grew both quarter over quarter and year over year to $34,000. And the average contract value for new customers in the fourth quarter was over $40,000. In addition, in the fourth quarter, approximately 80% of the percent of the ARR from log and customer expansion signing were for multi-year deals, showing again that learning is a strategic for our customers. External customer and partner training is one of our favorite customer use cases. 
but we are also winning a large number of internal training use cases. Two examples in the first quarter were with NBC Universal Media and Ubisoft. NBC Universal, the American media and entertainment conglomerate, was in search of an LMS that would simply and effectively support their reporting requirements. They chose the table to grant them the autonomy to manage their own training courses internally and to provide their learners with a dynamic learning experience that nicely fits with their branding requirements. Ubisoft, the French-based video game company with more than 18,000 employees in 40 studios around the world, has a vision to create a learning environment that allows for consistent reskilling through highly qualitative digital experiences. In order to consolidate their training and manage their compliance requirements, Ubisoft signed with the CEBO, introducing such a learning and collaborative element to its global workforce and providing them with exciting new learning opportunities. Another key driver in our growth has been land and expand. And in the fourth quarter, we signed a customer expansion agreement with Cisco and Heart and Stroke. Cisco has been at the Cable customer since 2018 when they acquired Broadsoft, a global voice over IP and unified communication provider that began using the Docebo LMS in 2016. Cisco has since expanded its adoption of Docebo, including their most recent addition of WebEx in the fourth quarter of 2020. Earth and Foundation began using Docebo in the second quarter of 2020 when we provided them with free use of the Docebo platform for nine months to support their training and research during a time of remote working triggered by COVID. In Q4, after having tested the AI-powered learning platform, they have officially signed with the table to transform their learning experience through their organization. A third factor in our growth is our, our OEM business, which continues to outperform and has been the largest single contributor to ARR for several quarters. Once again, OEM revenue increased quarter over quarter, both in absolute dollars and as a percentage of our total subscription revenue. This remains a very exciting channel for us, and we have an active pipeline of OEM opportunities that we hope to convert in 2021. All of our success to date has been on the back of the strength of one core product, the Chebo LMS. The year we have spent evolving the Chebo platform has put us in a position to solve the learning challenges of some of the largest and most progressive companies in the world. But today, in order to take advantage of the full promise of digital learning, our customers need to turn to multiple vendors with the LMS being just one piece of the solution. Our customers are looking for solutions to address the content creation, measure learning effectiveness, and drive insights from learning analytics, all while the core LMS function of learning delivery also continue to evolve. It is our longer-term vision that Docebo be able to provide customers within a single cohesive platform addressing all these solutions, and we have been working towards achieving this goal for the past several years. I'm very happy to be able to tell you that we have started to take our first significant step along this journey. We have started with the recent launch of Learning Impact 
the learning effectiveness tool which we have acquired via the Formatrix purchase. These will be followed later in the year by Docebo Shape, our AI-based content creation tool. Other tools and features are expected to follow at various points over the next 18 months. Of course, we look forward to being able to cross-sell these new products to our existing LMS customers, but many of these are standalone products that will be also be made available to customers using other LMS platforms. In the coming months, we will be sharing more with you on our long-term vision of the industry and upcoming product launches, so please stay tuned. Lastly, I want to touch on our activities since our NASDAQ IPO in December, where we raised approximately $155 million in net proceeds. Our U.S. listing has been another great milestone in the table progression as a leading player in global LMS and has helped to raise our profile with prospective customers and employees. We are actively adding depth and talent through our organization, and this investment is a key focus for our leadership team as we prepare the table for the next 100 million in revenue growing beyond. In line with this thinking, I want to take a moment to welcome Trisha Price, who recently joined the table as an independent director further increasing the diversity and experience for our board. Trisha is currently the Chief Product Officer at the Global Cloud Banking Leader, Ancino, and we look forward to, drive, to drawing on her wealth of knowledge in software as a service and financial services technology as we continue on our growth journey. In summary, the strength of our customer pipeline, upcoming new products, and the expanding profile with our industry has increased our confidence as we enter 2021. With consistent organic ARR growth, over 50% in 2020, while operating near adjusted EBITDA given, we believe our financial performance put us in a select group of fast-growing publicly traded global SaaS companies. With that, I will now pass the call to Ian to speak to the financials. Thank you, Claudio, and good morning, everyone. As usual, I'll remind everyone that you can find a detailed breakdown of our financial results for the three months ended December 31st, 2020, in our press release, our MDNA, and financial statements, which are now made available on our website and have also been filed on CDAR and EDGAR. We also have a slide deck accompanying our earnings call discussion that was made available on our investor investor relations website this morning. For those who want to follow along, I'm gonna start my remarks with slide four. As most of you are aware, in January 2021, in cooperation with a major shareholder, Docebo facilitated a secondary offering on the NASDAQ exchange. In conjunction with the offering, we released early guidance results for the fourth quarter for 2020 for several key metrics, including revenue, ARR, and average contract value, or ACV. The ranges provided were 18.25 to 18.75 million for revenue, 73 to 74 million for ARR, and 33.5 to 33.95 thousand for ACV. Today, I'm pleased that we are able to report final results either close to or above 
the high end of each of these ranges. Total revenue grew to 18.8 million, an increase of 53% from the prior year. Subscription revenues grew 49% from the prior year period and were 16.7 million, or nearly 89% of total revenue for the quarter. Professional services revenue in the fourth quarter was $2 million, an increase of 94% from the prior year. ARR is the driver behind subscription revenue growth and we're reporting 74 million in ARR at the end of the fourth quarter, an increase of 57% from the 47.2 million in ARR that we reported at the end of the fourth quarter of 2019. Of particular note, the growth in ARR in the fourth quarter was broadly based. There were no large outlying deals to skew the results, either to the good or bad. When compared to the third quarter of 2020, the 9.4 million increase in ARR represented a new high, a new high watermark for Docebo. In considering this performance, it's worth emphasizing that our ARR growth is all truly organic and does not reflect the benefit of, of any M&A as the revenue from Formetris is not currently categorized as ARR. Professional services revenue increased substantially period to period. Unlike subscription revenue, which is highly predictable, professional services revenue can vary significantly, even between what would otherwise be highly comparable contracts. In the near to medium term, we expect that professional services revenue will continue to represent approximately seven to 8% of total revenue. We had 2,179 customers at the end of the fourth quarter and our average contract value or ACV increased to approximately 34,000, up 24% from the 27,000 at the end of the fourth quarter last year. Historically, we have reported net dollar retention rate or NDRR as being greater than 100%. This year, we're providing a more precise net dollar retention rate with our 2020 year-end reporting, and we will continue to provide NDRR annually on this basis going forward. NDRR measures the relative increase or decrease in revenue from a consistent cohort of customers period to period, and provides insight into the net effect of upsells and churn in an underlying portfolio of customers. In 2020, NDRR was 108%, which compares favorably to the 105%, which was actually realized in 2019. We are particularly pleased by the year-over-year -year improvement in this metric in the context of the pandemic that we experienced during the year and the consequential higher rates of churn which have now, now been normalized. The fifth slide shows gross profit for the fourth quarter. As a percentage of revenue, gross profit margin was 84.1% of sales, an increase from 81.2% of sales in the prior year. Gross margin this quarter benefited from lower fees with our hosting provider. And while we will continuously work with our provider to further optimize this agreement, our long-term expectation for gross margin is for it to normalize in the 82 to 85% range. 
On slide six, you can see a summary of our operating expense lines. Total operating expenses for the fourth quarter increased to 19.9 million as compared to 13.1 million for the prior year. Included in the 19.9 million is a foreign exchange loss of 3.4 million, which relates primarily to the cash held on our balance sheet at year end and is therefore for the most part unrealized. Operating costs excluding this loss were 16.5 million and compared to the 13.4 million in operating costs, also excluding foreign exchange impacts that we reported in the third quarter of 2020. The primary drivers of the increase in operating expenses from the third quarter were higher G&A and sales and marketing expenses. G&A expense growth came as the result of higher salaries, benefits, and recruitment fees in support of our growing operations, as well as the increased costs of compliance associated with our NASDAQ listings, including increased accounting, legal, and directors and officers insurance expenses. On a go-forward basis, we estimate our U.S. listing will add approximately $5 million of annual recurring costs as compared to only being listed on the TSX. D&O insurance is the principal component of this increase. Sales and marketing expense increased on an absolute dollar basis from 5.8 million to 6.5 million in the quarter, but declined as a percentage of revenue to 34.4% as compared to the 36% for the third quarter of 2020. To some extent, we're playing catch up on personnel investments we had postponed earlier in the year. So we expect sales and marketing expense as a percentage of revenue to continue to increase both absolutely as well as a percent of revenue in the near term. Our medium term expectation for sales and marketing expense as a percentage of total revenue continues to be in the 35 to 45% range and it will remain there for so long as our growth trajectory continues at or close to its current level. We reported adjusted EBITDA of 0.5 million for the fourth quarter of 2020 compared to a loss of 1 million in the prior year. We also reported a net loss of 3.7 million for the quarter as compared to 3.3 million net loss for the prior year. As already noted, the net loss for the fourth quarter reflects a 3.4 million foreign exchange loss. In the fourth quarter, we generated positive free cash flow of 6.5 million, driven by 7 million in positive cash flow from operations, largely as the result of a strong performance in the accounts receivable collection. Our balance sheet today is very healthy given our free cash flow profile and the proceeds we've realized from recent equity financing. With an additional 155 million in net proceeds from the US IPO in December, cash at the end of the fourth quarter was approximately $220 million, and we carry no debt. In 2021, our focus will be to invest to maximize organic revenue growth, and it will continue to be such so long as our LTV to CAC remains attractive, as we believe this is the best use of our capital. We will continue to look at M&A opportunistically to advance our objective to offer a complete suite of learning products and provide more cross-sell opportunities. 
although this may mean expense growth accelerating faster than revenue growth in the near term, we believe it sets the stage for higher growth and profitability over the longer term. With that, I'll turn it over to the operator now to take some questions from the analyst. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now take questions from research analysts. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. As a reminder, please limit yourself to two questions and requeue for any follow-ups. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. First question comes from Robert Young at Canaccord. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, good morning. Um, thanks for the disclosure on the, um, the retention. Uh, maybe I'd like to ask a question there. The increase... From 105 to 108 percent, you already highlighted the um, the expectations. Uh, the beginning of the year was expected to be higher, and it, it's improved since then. But I'd like to uh, better understand the increase. Is it more driven by expansions of existing customers, or is it driven by better churn payment than maybe you would have expected at the beginning of the year? Because it looks like that would have a reverse course significantly to get a an increased. Um, um, Rob, ciao, Claudio speaking. Uh, before ending the, the answer to Ian, I just want to say ciao. Um, so, Ian, are you taking it? Sure. Uh, it was a combination of factors, Rob. Um, we, we started implementing some better controls on churn and, and internal processes on customer management in late 2019, uh, and it was fortuitous timing because uh, obviously the, the the environment changed through 2020. So our ability to manage our customers has been improving. Um, that was coupled with uh, better performance on the on the upsell cross sell front. So it it, it was it was both. And uh, so that's one of the areas that you've been investing in is the upsell, uh, like better support organization, better uh, ability to, you know, drive that land and expand. And so did, uh, would it be fair to say that, that your your performance there in expenses has moved forward significantly in 2020 and that's going to stay the case here in 2021? Is it going to get better? How are we, um, I'll, 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 I'll say yes to that, but um, – probably best to have Alessio maybe talk a little bit about our, our performance on, on the upsell side. Hey, hey Robert, uh, good, good morning. We're, we're, we're pleased with seeing um, that the tactics and the activities on, on uh, retention improvement um, are paying back. Uh, you're right when you say that there's focus on uh, expansion we we continue to win departments of very large organizations and and when that happens it leads itself 
to the possibility of continuing to win business within the same business or across the ecosystem of those companies. Uh, it is no secret that we have continued to invest in uh, 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 empowering this engine, the upsell expansion engine. Uh, we think that uh, even net of any new product, uh, there's tremendous opportunity. And, and as we continue to uh, successfully launch uh, um, products like the Chable Learning Impact, that opportunity increases even further. So we think we're very well positioned to maintain high performance in NDRR. Um, and uh, I, I would just not make uh, a statement that it will be either or uh, churn related or upsell related because our goal really and what we're executing is improving both. All right, thank you. And uh, one quick one on, I think, a quarter ago or two quarters ago, you highlighted uh, QSR expansion that was going to fall into Q1. I was just, you didn't update anything on that in the release. I was wondering if that's still something you expect to happen in Q1. I'll pass the line. Uh, yes, it is. Thank you. The next question. Thank you. The next question comes from Stephanie Price at CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. I just wanted to follow up on Rob's question around the customer expansions. Uh, obviously, you've had some, some very strong ones, including Cisco this quarter and Walmart in, in the past. Just curious about the sales process and how you kind of look to expand within these existing customers and whether you've ramped up that sales team at all. Yeah, Stephanie, uh, Claudio speaking. Uh, uh, great to meet you. I will, I will leave Alessio uh, answer this question. Stephanie, good morning. Great question. I could uh, I could probably speak to you about this for the next 50 to 20 minutes, but I'll give you the the, <laughs> the short version of uh, our uh, strategy and upsell. Um, number one, uh, a good upsell strategy starts with uh, a happy customer base. Our number one effort is to continue to create products that lead them uh, lead our customers to adoption and happiness. That that's really the foundation of any good uh, upsell engine. Having said that, um, there's, a, there's really a company-wide effort, um, and I really mean it. Uh, we are investing proportionally in uh, empowering our professional services organization to implement faster and better. We're, we're investing in our support organization to provide to customers the support they need to solve the issues at the right time. That, that creates the premises for a customer experience and account management team to continue winning business. I understand that your question is on the sales motion. So at a high level, when we, uh, when we win a new customer, a new organization, um, there, is a, there is a team of account managers and customer experience specialists that support these customers. When we look at these customers, we, we try and think, uh, what is the opportunity size across the customer? And not only within the, the organization itself, but around the, the ecosystem of sister companies and such of these customers. And, uh, and we activate um, you know, account development motions to understand uh, who are the different buyer personas across the companies. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, we like to say that every customer we land, that there is another uh, uh, six to, to eight buyers within the customer that we could uh, reach out to, and, and we execute towards that. At a high level, I think this is what you're asking, Stephanie, is it satisfactory? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great color. Thank you. 
Um, and maybe a completely unrelated question, uh, just around Formatrice. Um, just curious about how the integration is going and how customers are responding to, to the expanded offering. Claudio, you're on mute. Sorry. Uh, before answering the specific Formatrix question, Stephanie, I want to uh, reiterate what Alessio stated. I mean, Ducevo has always been perceived like a product company where the product is our main asset. But actually, our sales organization over time, and especially during the last year, became another strategic asset for Docebo. And it's an asset we can leverage to sell new products to the market. Let's say the, the first product that will be sold to our actual customer, but also to new customers, is uh, the former for Matrix product, the now renamed in Docebo Impact. And uh, when we have demoed uh, the logic that the LMS is delivering the training, but you need an assessment tool to understand the quality of the learning you deliver, of the curricula you deliver, and using this data to re-strategize some part of the learning strategy that, doesn't, that isn't not effective as expected, this is the real strength of Docebo Impact. Let's uh, say that every new product we are building and expect some news in the future, uh, building and releasing and selling, of course, um, will, is built to be sold not only to Docebo LMS users, but can be plugged inside other learning management systems that can benefit from a learning impact analysis also if these customers are not using the Docebo learning management system. Okay, that's great color. Thanks so much. Thank you. The next question comes from Daniel Chen at TD. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Just wanted to touch on the uh, OEM sales. Those continue to be strong, and you mentioned uh, it, was, it was record performance. Can you provide any insight on how the attach rate to your partner solutions are going and any feedback you're getting from them? Um, so uh, about the, the, the attachment rate and answer, I will, I will let Ian answer. Uh, that said, I want to say that I'm very happy and excited on uh, the technology we have built for the OEM and the pipeline we have. Let's say that, Ian, uh, are you going to answer uh, uh, about this question? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, Dan, we, 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 we've never commented on, on our penetration within any particular OEMs, and, and, and I think that's probably uh, the, the way we're going to proceed um, in, in the future. So I, I can't respond definitively. I, I, I will say, though, that to the extent that our OEM business is is driven by HCM platforms, which I think it's fair to say that today it is, the HCMs are historically very strong in the fourth quarter, and and as a consequence, <clears throat> a, a strong performance that uh, the, the, our strong performance in the fourth in the fourth quarter was related to that. 
uh, <clears throat> Alessio, are, are, are there any other sort of general observations that are that, that are worth making with regards to uh, with regards uh, to our, the perf- yeah with, with, with regards to the OEM performance? Yeah, with regards to OEM performance, that's it's absolutely correct, and I would reiterate what we have said in the past that while HCM leads itself to being a primary target for us for OEM relationships, we we've widened that net to other sectors and other types of organizations that are showing interest. But you know that that's just um, uh, the product also about the maturity of our OEM product itself. Um, but with regards to attachment rate specifically, I would I would confirm what you said, Ian. Okay, that's helpful. And then maybe can you comment on the relative size of deals won from OEM sales relative to your direct sales? Alessio, do you want <clears throat> you do you want to touch on that or? or... I, uh, my line was was bad. The, the question didn't come through clearly. I apologize about that. Could you? Yeah, I'll, I'll repeat it, Alessio. Sure. Just um, on the relative size of deals for OEM sales, do, do they? How do they compare to sales made from your direct uh, sales? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the nature of a sale of an OEM organization is is add on. Um, whereas uh, the nature of the sale of our direct team is uh, is a primary product, that in itself um, is the most uh, significant and, and and notable difference. Now, um, when you look at add-on sale, uh, just like we have add-ons on our side, um, the beauty of it is that um, they can be very powerful in sales execution, both at new and uh, in the base. So we like partnering with organizations that have uh, a large install base uh, because with proper execution of uh, upsell and sales expansion, uh, that base is very fertile territory for add-on add. Um, The average deal size uh, is um, uh, in itself smaller um, um, and that depends also on the segment that they sell into. Um, but but the the velocity of those deals tend to be much faster. And um, so in in a short and brief recap, smaller deals uh, uh, as a part of an add-on strategy. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. And then maybe related to deal size, your ACV continues to grow. Um, can you comment on whether that's volume-driven or whether they're Customers are taking on more modules, and if it's the latter, which modules have been very popular? Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a mix of of, of both, um, and uh, and the reality is uh, we continue to work with larger organizations. Yeah, that that's a fact. They're buying more products and modules. That's a fact, and uh, and we're getting better at positioning. Uh, certain capabilities uh, and, and winning business uh, from um, and displacing uh, uh, um, competitors um, that are very strong in the enterprise segment. And we're very happy with our results in the enterprise and major segments that are really our, our target markets. And I wouldn't attribute 
growth in HCV to, again, a specific factor, rather it's a mix of combined efforts. Thank you. The next question comes from Richard Say at National Bank. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you. Just uh, for our sort of modeling purposes, I was curious to get your perspective. You know, no doubt if you look at sort of the full year, you guys had some incredible growth, uh, certainly relative to a lot of names at 54% in terms of um, the subscription part. No doubt some of that probably had to do with, uh, you know, the shift of the remote learning. So as we look out into 2021 and 2022, um, should we expect that to moderate a little bit uh, to sort of reflect uh, hopefully a return to uh, a normal life here, or, or should we sort of uh, assume it's going to be sustained given the initiatives that you're putting in place uh, here going forward? Um, yeah, so um, I think that uh, you, you have to uh, imagine the adoption of a learning management system as a software as a strategic move. I mean, there is not a one-to-one -one correlation to the pandemic like Zoom. I mean, if you come back to the office, you are not using Zoom for working with, with, with your peers and with your colleagues. So there is a direct reduction. Uh, what, we, what we are seeing in, in our industry is actually that there is an awareness that there is a tool, which is a learning management system and online learning in general, that was not leveraged efficiently like can be done. So now the customer are more aware that they have this tool and this tool will not fade away because does not have a direct correlation between employees coming back to the office. Um, we are not providing guidance on, on, on the growth, but uh, we are happy that now the buyer are becoming more and more sophisticated. Let's say I would like Ian giving you more color on, on, on the direct question you, you have raised. Um, sure. Uh, look, the, 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 as, as everyone knows, we don't provide guidance. Uh, the, the way that I've, I've tried to respond, because I know the appetite is insatiable, uh, but, but the, the way that I've tried to respond in the past is, is to say that um, you know, we, we obviously monitor momentum in, in our business. And uh, at, at this point, um, even though our business is slightly seasonal, there's there's nothing, as I've said uh, historically, that there's nothing that we see that would suggest there's going to be a change in uh, in, in in the momentum in our business um, to to the downside. So, you know, I'm I'm not an expert on on how businesses uh, are are operating in in the U.S. But a lot of the U.S. is 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 more functionally normal than than uh, what we see here in Canada, and um, you know the the concern or evidence of a significant headwind as 
as COVID starts to diminish, um, we, we have not seen as of yet any indication that that's going to be the case. Okay, that, that's totally fair. You know, I just sort of get kind of curious to, to get that perspective. Uh, no, no, look, we, uh, we 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 understand it, and and we watch our funnel daily to to to, to try to figure that out. Right. Okay. Uh, um, as far as my second question goes, obviously you guys have done an incredible job on the OEM side as well. Um, beyond kind of uh, HCM, there are probably some meaningful opportunities and other sort of segments, you know, notably like ERP and, and such. What's the plan or is there a plan to sort of expand uh, kind of the OEMs over the next 12 months uh, into some of those other areas? Um, great, uh, great question. Sorry. Yeah, we have made no secret. I was muted. Yes, yes, sorry, Ale. Uh, product guy speaking Please. here. Um, this is me. Uh, so, we, we, Richard, we, we have built a super great technology because uh, it's agnostic uh, on uh, the software we interface with, so we OEM with. That said, uh, it's just a matter of fantasy on where we can plug Docebo in OEM. Why? Because learning is happening in every phase of the workflow. So uh, you are learning when you are inside your CRM. You are learning when you are into your partner portal system. So we, with our technology, we are capable to be plugged in interesting vertical software that needed to provide learning, but don't have the capability to build their own LMS uh, or their own learning technologies, because don't forget, that Docebo is becoming a multi-product uh, suite. That said, if I had to identify immediate opportunities also based on feedback on the beta testing of new OEM models that we are releasing, and I'm thinking about uh, plugins of Docebo that run inside web pages, I can say that partner portals are interesting because usually the partner portal is providing training inside the partner portal to the partner network. So partner portal software, uh, talent management software, uh, OEM software, I can say also maybe some CRM, uh, are great opportunities for us. And uh, I repeat myself, Ducebo OEM as a product is agnostic. That said, uh, run inside uh, all the technologies. Okay, thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Gavin Fairweather at Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Hey there. Good morning. Good afternoon, Claudio. Um, just on the 150 new logo additions in the quarter, that's up from kind of a hundred in, in the past few quarters. I guess I'm just curious for some attribution on that. Would you tie that to higher inbound leads or higher win rates or maybe a bit of both? Um, Alessio? It, it, oh, sorry. Sorry, it, it, it's okay. Alessio, I, I, I can comment on this one quickly. It, it was two things. Um, 
Two things. One, you know, when when we look at, at logo editions, it's always on a net basis. And uh, we've, we've said in the past that we have a historical um, historical component of our customer base that are, are very small, uh, small pieces of, of, of our revenue pie. Um, still still folks who pay us a thousand dollars a year as that piece diminishes then the the fall off that we have that acts against our new logo ads also starts to diminish right um and and so that's that's one thing that happened in the quarter the other aspect though uh probably more important is First of all, the dollar, the gross dollar ad was was very significant, and there were no really big wins included in uh, in in that ad, and so um, you know they they were basically all singles. There might have been one or two doubles, but but the, the, there were no grand slams in in the quarter. Okay, yeah, I guess I was just curious if you if you wanted to comment on on rates in particular and whether those have moved around. I don't know if Alessio would have any comments on that. So, sorry, guy, you're breaking up there. Oh, okay, I'll pass the line. Thank you. The next question comes from Martin Toner at ATP Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my call, and uh, congrats on a great year. Thank you, Martin. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. So uh, you mentioned higher profile as a function of the NASDAQ listing, listing. And I mean, that sounds pretty positive for uh, uh, revenue growth prospects going forward. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, I mean, look, being being listed on the NASDAQ is, look, it's, it's an expensive uh, undertaking. Um, and if we didn't think that there were positives associated with it, obviously we wouldn't we wouldn't have moved forward. But the 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 profile that that we we believe that it provides us is multifaceted. Um, it's and and, and I al- almost wouldn't want to weight any of these as being dramatically more important than the other. But we're we're obviously, from an investor perspective, to the extent they can trade our stock in in a home currency on a home exchange, it it makes it better for U.S. investors, or or or, or just more natural for U.S. investors. Um, but as I said, equally important for us is uh, is given our our hiring requirements being. Being listed on the NASDAQ exchange and and having compensation programs that that can reflect stock and 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 incentive plans associated with a NASDAQ listing is is also important. It's 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 a competitive world out there, and uh, and and that's something that uh, that has already proven to be beneficial for us. And then you know the the last thing, of course, is uh, is is with our customers. There's there's an element of being a grown up company uh, in, uh, in 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 listing on the Nasdaq. Um, you know, t- t- candidly, 
I think it's fair to say, and Alessio, you may want to comment on this, but I think it's fair to say that the days where we used to fight the battle with our customers um, of are we are we real? Are we big enough to service a large company? Uh, I think those days are, to all intents and purposes, behind us at at this point. Um, but Alessio, why, why don't you take that? I, I yeah I agree on 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 that last comment. Uh, um, there's two factors that contribute to that perception uh, evolving and changing. One is uh, certainly, um, um, NASDAQ adds a level of uh, prestige to the organization uh, and customers and prospects appreciate that and they understand what it comes with. And, and, and secondly, as we continue to win uh, large logos and partner with organizations in, in, in the uh, you know, degree of uh, maturity and success of the AWS and Walmart, um, there's a recognition that that doesn't happen randomly. And uh, and that those are statements to the growth of the company on 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 top of the Nasdaq listing. So, um, yeah, we we are pleased with it. Uh, super. Thanks very much. If I can add a follow-on, um, why does Informetris revenue go into ARR, and um, will that change going forward, or, or will you consider a change to the revenue model that will allow it to go into ARR? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, uh, uh, candidly, it, it's a technicality, and and we 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 did struggle a little bit and decided to take the high road. Um, the structure of their contracts today, if if you if you were to take that structure and compare it to our MSSA, it's it's just different, um, and and we we will be working with their customer base to put them onto paper that's structured like ours. And, and that's why in our remarks, I said, you know, the, our, our, our revenue uh, is not currently classified as ARR. As we convert those contracts into, uh, as I said, you know, as we convert those contracts onto our paper, then, then we will start to classify them as, as ARR. Okay, super. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Suthan Sukumar at 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Good morning, gents, and uh, congrats on the strong results. Good to see this uh, strong, strong momentum in the business continue. I uh, wanted to touch on um, some of the strength you're seeing in new customer wins here. What can you share on, on the profiles of of these new customers coming on board and, and how much of these are net new to learning versus uh, competitive displacement? Sutan, good morning and thank you for the kind words. Um, what can we share on the makeup of the new customers? Well, a um, couple of things. I think it was in the script. It was, uh, it was a record quarter not only for new logo, but also for upsell. And, and when we think upsell, we don't think just upsell to the same customer, but cross-sell within the customer organization. And I think that's important to answer your question and give context. With regards to the new customers that we're signing, um, no very net new specific trend, Sutan, 
we continue to excel in industries and sectors in which we have uh, uh, shared uh, uh, great stories in the past. Um, I also believe it was in the script, but to add more color, just to be, to be very clear, we haven't um, uh, incorporated in the quota four results a really large, so to speak, whale deals well above uh, um, uh, the, the standard uh, um, ticket. Um, we have, in fact, uh, distributed this across a multitude of customers, primarily uh, in, in, in software and technology and uh, manufacturing, financial services, retail. Those are some of the sectors in which um, um, we, we continue to see strong momentum. The displacement factor is, uh, is the, primary, the primary case. Uh, the ideal customer profile of the Chebo is not anymore a first-time adopter. It used to be um, the, the ideal customer of the Chebo as uh, a competitor in-house or an homegrown solution, but I would say that 90% of the instances we displace either a large HCM or another LMS point solution. And, and we're seeing a trend where HCM or talent management suite displacement happens most frequently in the enterprise segment. That's where we win uh, the bigger deals from the talent uh, um, LMS combined type of solutions. Great, no, that's, that's uh, pretty helpful. Um, secondly, I wanted to touch on the competitive landscape. Um, Curious if you guys are seeing any notable changes in the competitive backdrop uh, now versus kind of recent quarters. I mean, we saw Microsoft launch launch Viva. You know, wondering what you're seeing from some of the from some of the existing competitors in the space, and and if there's any emergence of new entrants here, as you know, as the market opportunity for learning really expands here. Um, yeah, so just speaking, uh, um, I think that uh, the industry is changing and the product. Uh, needed to change far, very fast to keep to, to, to go where the learning is going. I mean, Viva is a, a collector of several functions that want to revamp the old school intranet, which is, which is great. I mean, the unification of activity is important. But we think that the new integration with the table with Microsoft Team, which uh, which, which we have released recently, is more important, especially to support the remote work uh, uh, that is still continuing and will continue at least uh, at the end of H1 in North America and probably a little bit longer everywhere else in the world. Um, that said, uh, classic competitors are uh, are growing because e-learning is growing and we know them. What scares me is what I don't know. And uh, mainly, uh, you know, now uh, learning in the workflow, the skill system or the enablement platform like sales enablement platform, if you, if you imagine these all learning can happen inside every single platform. So we need to be ready to bring the learning where the learner is, and not only pretending that the learner logs in inside an LMS. 
And that's where we are working. Great. That's good color. Thank you, Claudio. Um, that's it for me, guys. I'll pass the line. Thank you. And the last question comes from Nick Agostino at Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, excuse me, sorry. Uh, yeah, good, good day, all. I guess just coming back to the OEM uh, question, if, uh, if you guys could comment on when you look at the, the, the revenue growth from the OEMs, mm -hmm. is it driven, recognizing the relative proportions of, of your OEM uh, uh, partners, was it driven by one OEM or was it uh, equally proportional, again, recognizing the relative proportion, uh, was it equally proportional in terms of their, their contributions? And uh, second part of that question is what regions, if there was any, where these OEMs were getting a, a greater uh, attraction? Do you want me to take that, Alessio? Sure. Um, sure, go ahead. Let me know if you want me to chime in. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, hey, Nick, thanks. Thanks uh, for the question, and uh, great to have you with us. So when, when we started our... Uh, our work with Ceridian, it took us a long time, like over two years, to to be in a position where we could support them. Uh, and, and, and I think everyone's familiar with, with that story. Uh, it's still, though, even though technically we are now capable of responding very quickly and, and being integrated within an OEM platform, Working with an OEM uh, is still a, a critical strategic decision for them. And so, you know, we, we have uh, put a team together that over the past year has built a pipeline to, uh, to add to our stable of OEM partners. Having said that, uh, you know, the the vast majority of our OEM revenue still comes from our our original partner, and and that's why when I look at our at our business over the next five years, and think about the kind of companies that we can partner with and should be partnering with and and are in our in our pipeline, that's why I get excited. So to answer your, your very specific question, the vast majority of, or, or, or you know, the, the very material majority of our OEM revenue is still a single customer uh, related. Okay, um, and then on that same, same topic, if we look at Ceridian and we look at MRH and you, you spoke about it took two years for probably get some good adoption with Ceridian, when you overlay uh, the, the traction of those two OEMs, would you say that MRH is ahead of or on par with or, or, or behind where Ceridian would have been at that same point in time? Just trying to understand uh, the penetration you're getting as, as you might bring on other OEMs. Um, Alessio, why don't I let you talk to that? Yep. Um, so with, with without like, being like, specific, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. I get it. Um, so, look, we we know the potential of um, of the relationship with Ceridian. We we 
we're close partners and we've been in this, like Ian said, for a while. So our, our visibility on the model there is, is certainly more mature. Um, MHR uh, um, started ramping uh, uh, late uh, 2020, so it's, it's early days. Um, with that said, um, Ceridian remains a, 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 we plan on, on them to continue to be a significant driver, but when we look at MHR and, and beyond, um, the opportunities that we are we have in funnel, we, we think that over the next two years, the curve that is primarily attributable to to Ceridian uh, will will you know flatten in a way and distribute more more evenly. It's hard to say today exactly when and how, but but we know it will. Uh, I think one important note, uh, um, you know, M MHR is from a regional standpoint, which I think was in your initial question, is very UK focused. Whereas Ceridian, uh, despite an incredible effort in acquisitions also, is, is, a much, is, is a much more global player with footprint in North America. Our, our strategy and our goal and what we're executing is continuing to partner with organizations that cover the entire world without focusing or precluding any single geography. So we're looking carefully at each and every market to OEM with companies uh, uh, from, you know, Northern Europe to APAC and so on and so forth. So we're actively pursuing every opportunity and, and regions are a consideration in our, um, uh, in our uh, hunting strategy. Okay, thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions. I will now turn the call back over to Claudio Erba for closing comments. Um, it was a pleasure having you here for our first call, uh, first earning call uh, together with TSX and NASDAQ, uh, ISIL depression. And um, I really hope to have you in the next uh, earning call, which will be probably in, in May, so not, not longer. And probably, I'm not saying you will be in a vaccine-proof herd immunity scenario, but we'll be more, we'll be more relaxed. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.